I have to ask you, how, I, I don't know if you have a football team, but how committed are you to your football team? You don't sound committed. It's okay if you're a Christian and have a football team. Are you committed to your football team? Two people. Uh, I just, I don't believe it. Uh, so I have a friend, uh, he's a retired Marine, and he, he now lives down in Florida, and is living life down there, enjoying the probably 75 degree weather today. Uh, being from Massachusetts, and when I first moved here, he, he be, we became really good friends with uh, them uh, right away. And I didn't know people from the East Coast, because uh, I was from the West Coast. And so uh, when they became our good friends, I had to learn whole new football teams. For me, it was, you know, the Raiders, 49ers, the Rams, and it was, that was, you know, from California. So here it's like, I don't see Raider gear anymore on people, and it's, it's other teams that I've had to really get used to. Um, so he was a Pat, or he is a Pats fan. I didn't even know what that was. It's like, um, any Pats fans here? See, one. There's only one. Okay, we, we know who to pray for. So now my friend, uh, being from the Massachusetts area, uh, is a diet in the wool Pats fan. Uh, thank you. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't matter if they have a winning season, losing season. I mean, he was there for all the Tom Brady years. What, Tom Brady was there for like, what, 30 years? Uh, quarterback the team, won many uh, games, Super Bowls, etc. But whether they won, lost, he was a Pats fan. In fact, when I would ask him questions, like uh, last time I checked this week, uh, their, their record, um, I apologize, but to make it public, but it was five and four. Not, op not optimal. Uh, but if you are, if, does that affect your ability to follow this as a team? No way, see? That, that's a fan right there. Um, so he's just like my friend. He's still supported. Now, the Dolphins, I don't know if you like the Dolphins. And this has everything to do with my sermon here in about two seconds. Uh, the Dolphins have a 7-3 and three record, which is way better. Uh, but I'm not a Dolphins fan either because I'm from the West, West Coast. But my friend, no matter what, uh, he, he is still a Pats fan, even though he now lives in, lives in Florida. So if you think about a person who's committed to their team, like what... What are the viewpoints? Like, I can ask my, I can tell my friend, hey, you've got a five and four record. That's not really good. He's like, hey, after re Brady, we're rebuilding. We're rebuilding. This could take a few years, but we're going to get back to where we were before. That, that's, a, that's a fan, right? So a committed fan, uh, they don't talk their team down, right? You guys even watch football? Um, committed fans, <laughs> they look for the strengths of their players, not the weaknesses. That's a committed fan. A committed fan, uh, they give new, new players grace to grow. Like we're rebuilding the team. Committed fans, uh, they still purchase team memorabilia. Uh, and, and committed fans still purchase their seats and tickets. Right? I mean, if you're, if you're a committed fan. Uh, does your commitment to your team run like this? What say you, Pats fan? You're the only one here. It's still committed? All day. Uh, and I didn't plant him here either. He, he's really, yeah, yeah. So you have to think about it this way. So if you take the commitment of a, of a person to a team, because I've seen some of you in action because I've been either at football games with you. I've, you've been, I've been at your house for games. I've been at, you've been at my house. When you're at, you, you act differently when you're watching a pro football game on the television. You do. You're passionate. You scream. You yell. It's unbelievable. You're talking to the television. ain't talking back. You are committed to that game. I've seen the passion. I don't see the same kind of thing when I come to church. So, <laughs> no, I'm just saying. No one's going, yeah, go for it, yes. Bad call, you know, whatever. Anyway, so I just, I just have to ask you, are you, are, are you committed to this team? This is the team. Did you know this? Excellent. So I'm, I'm committed too. So and how do other people know you're committed to this team? 
Well, I've got an FGL sticker on my car. <laughs> yeah, you can go to the bookstore, get those little, those new designs, they're, you know, they're kind of a circular B thing for Burke Community, you know, you know, I've got those on my Bible, on my, on my iPad, on my Mac, I've got those stickers everywhere, I mean, they know I'm committed, are, are you, are you committed, and you're more than just a fan of this team, because a fan kind of watching the game happen, you are a player, right, on this team, so I have to ask you, how committed are you to the team, uh, now, we know when we look at John's epistles, he's a coach, right, he's a seasoned coach, uh, and he knows how to build a winning team. But his problem is he's got seven churches that he pastors, seven teams in Asia Minor that have issues. Because sometimes teams have issues. In fact, I've been on teams, you've had a primo team, tons of talent, and you end up losing. And so he's got these great teams in Asia Minor, but they have tons of issues because, well, they got the wrong people on the team. You know, it only takes, because I played sports, it only takes one person to mess up a team. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, and, and so when he looks at these churches, they're infiltrated by false teachers who mess up the team. Team starts fighting against each other, and it's not a winning season. So he's the coach, and he sits down, and the first two epistles, we'll call them chalk talks, okay? I don't know what they use now. I'm old school. Wheels out the board, got a chalk, and begins to write down what they need to do to get back to a winning season. So he talks to them and tells them in the first two epistles, you know, uh, you guys don't love Jesus like you used to. You're too busy fighting each other. You need to get back to well, playing like you, like you know the team owner and that you actually love each other. So the, the first two epistles gave us tons of info on what we should be doing to have that intimate relationship with the team owner. His name is? Do you know the team owner? <laughs> See how passionate? You're passionate, right, about your team? Who owns our team? Jesus. Jesus. Yeah, Jesus does. So since Jesus does, I should be all excited about that. But I should be living in light of who he is. That's the thing. So these two letters are to get us back to being even a better team. We've got a great team here, by the way. When you get to the third John, the chalk talk for third John is a little more different. He talks about two players. It'd be like if I stopped the sermon today and I thought, you know, I've been thinking about two specific individuals in our church that I'm going to talk about today. And then I just call you out. You'd probably never come back to church. Like, man, it's the last time I'm coming. Yeah, well, that's what he does. He's going to call out two players. Now, if you play sports, coaches do this, right? You know, in halftime locker room, coach, you know, uh, I need to talk to Baker, number 12. I mean, I've had this happen, you know. And so he's going to call out two players. He's going to commend one. He's going to condemn one. One's a great player, attributing to the team's success. The other one, tearing the team down. Their names, you can't forget them. The first guy's name, Gaius. That's his name. The next guy who's got tons of issues, diatrophies. You got to stop and ask yourself, which one of these guys am I? They're both Christians. One empowers the team, Gaius. One enfeebles the team, diatrophies. We want to talk about that because uh, as we close out these letters, we want to make sure that our team continues to, to cut deep into Satan's kingdom because nothing is going to prevail against the church of Christ. But the devil can do a number on church in a lot of ways. And so we want to talk about how do we make sure that we're Gaius and not diatrophies. So we want to look at uh, those two men. It's a character study. We'll study first Gaius. Uh, Gaius, the Gaius type, I tell you, empowers the team. He builds the team up. And you know when you're around a Gaius type because their excitement gets you excited. I mean, you're like, man, if they can do this, I can do this. I mean, they, they build up the team. So read what he says about uh, this man. He says, uh, the elder, that's John, to the beloved Gaius, uh, whom I love in truth. Beloved, he's talking to that man, I pray that in all respects you may prosper and be in good health, just as your soul prospers. 
He says, for I was very glad when brethren came and bore witness to your truth. That is how you are walking in truth. He says, I as a coach have no greater joy than this, to hear my players are playing by the playbook. What's the playbook? The Bible. He said, I'm your coach. Man, I, I've, got, I've got word from other players that have come to where I'm at to tell me how it's going, where you are. I know it's been a really rough season, but they're telling me, boy, there's a guy on the team in that Asia Minor area. Man, this guy brings it. What's his name? His name's Gaius. When you think about that, uh, look at how the coach uh, talks to him. Because I've had great coaches. I have other coaches I would never want to play for again. Uh, and I can tell you, the, the great coach you want to play hard for. Uh, and, a, and, a, and a coach that's not optimal, you just want the next season to come along and him take another job somewhere. John's a great coach. Notice how he deals with his player Gaius. Number one, he tells him straight up that he what? Loves him. He loves him. Could you imagine? Do you ever have a coach came up and told you that he loved you? <laughs> no. No. My wrestling coach never told me that. Never told me that. I feared that guy. You know, if he ever told me he loved me, I'd probably freak out. You know, it's like back then it was like, no, full contact. You know, we're going to get your attention and make you a great wrestler. You know, could there be a little love in this? That, they would have laughed us out of the room. But, but a really good coach on a, on, a, on a team like ours tells the players, I love you. I mean, you sense that he loves you. Uh, and so, yeah, I have to ask myself this because I am a coach of this team. I have to ask myself, do the, do the players on the team, you, know I love you? I, ho I hope you do by the things I say to you, how I treat you, how I respect you, how I respond to your emails. I don't ignore you. I take your calls. I answer a gazillion questions. I'm there if something happens and you need a pastor there. I, I try to be at places where I, I can get, you know, but beloved, and, and, and I hope you sense on a Sunday morning that, that I do love you, and I do love you. I mean, I've been here 14 years, almost to the day. Why am I here? Well, because I saw love here when I came here to candidate. Uh, and and it's, it's grown and flourished over the years. So it's been 14 years of like a love relationship. I mean, I don't necessarily like the East Coast a lot. <laughs> Just being honest, confessional booth. Um, when it's 19 degrees, that's not God's will for me. <laughs> but what keeps me here? Look, oh, well, I know God called me here, and I love the team. I mean, don't you love the team? Isn't that why you're here? See, that's what he says. He says, uh, man, I love you. I love you as a player. So you got to ask yourself, you're a leader here at a church, because we have, you know, 3,000 people here in total, and there's a lot of leaders in our church. If you are a leader specifically, do you tell the other team members that you love them? That builds up the team. Number two, he prays for the player to prosper physically as he is spiritually. This is really interesting. He prays that he would prosper physically as he is spiritually. <laughs> if I prayed this for you, oh God, please make them physically strong as they are spiritually strong. Would you be a quadriplegic? Would you be sick and anemic? I mean, if you had to take your spiritual stance and apply that to your physical constitution, what kind of shape would you be in? See, this gayest guy must be a really spiritually amazing man, right? He's very strong spiritually. So John says, John says, well, you know, I know, because John's a godly man, uh, he, he, he could tell you, I know from James 5, uh, verses 13 to 16, and, uh, and what Paul experienced in Romans 11, or he, uh, 1 Corinthians 11 with this thorn in the flesh, sometimes God sends physical maladies to us to discipline and shape us into his image and stuff. Sometimes he does. Um, and so he says, you know, hey, guys, when I think about you as a player, you're playing strong and true on the team, and I know you're, you're spiritually a, a deep man, but, but I want you to remain physically strong. 
But John, if you remember, when we covered uh, John, 1 John 5, 14, he says when you do ask God for things, you pray according to his will. I mean, you always have to tack that on. You can ask God for big things, but make sure, but, but Lord, be, be according to your will. Because what greater thing do you want but his will? Uh, and so he says, I, I'm praying according to the will of God that you would remain physically strong as you are spiritually strong because you bring a lot to the team. Do you, as a leader, pray for your team that way? God, keep them, keep them strong spiritually and keep them strong physically so they can add to the team. Are you praying for your team? Because uh, a great team has a coach who prays for them. I pray for you. Do you pray for me? If you're a leader in this church, do you pray for the people under your care? Be who they are. If you're an elder, if you're a deacon, uh, if you lead a small group, a high school, junior high, do you pray for those people? Uh, number three, he compliments the player for living his life according to the team owner's playbook, which is the Bible. He follows the playbook. So you do not want a player who does his own plays, who does his own thing. I mean, we had a quarterback, his name was Brian, um, and Brian loved to call his own plays. And, and they were all about him running the football and looking glorious. And, you know, after he did that four or five times in a row, we, we kind of talked to ourselves after the game. We're like, next time he does that, we're not following that play as a team. And so we just let the other team cross the line and just nail Brian in the backfield. <laughs> that happened a couple of times. He had a come-to-Jesus moment. You, <laughs> you know, you're not being a team. You're, not, you're playing by yourself. Uh, but if you were a really great player... You're going you're gonna to play according to the playbook. If you have a playbook, you're supposed to call the play and play according to that. Uh, and so John looks at uh, uh, Gaius and says, wow, you are somebody I am so happy. I have no greater joy than this to hear that you, Gaius, are walking according to the playbook, the Bible. I can say the same thing. As a leader, as a, as a, like John, as a pastor, when I hear that, that you are maturing and growing in Christ, that does it for me. That does it for me because you're hearing the word of God and you're applying it to your life. That is why we're here, by the way. Uh, but, but that's just introductory stuff. What does he really want to tell this guy? What he really wants to tell him is in verse five. So he says, beloved, you are acting faithfully in whatever you accomplish for the brethren, plural, and especially when they are strangers, like you don't even know these people. And they bear witness to your love before the church and you, you will do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. Uh, for they went out for the sake of the name, the name of Jesus, uh, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, conclusion, we ought to support such men that uh, we may be fellow workers with the truth. What in the world is he talking about? To understand what he's talking about, you have to understand how the church operated back then. Um, how they did churches then is not how they do church now. Now you typically have a pastor, a bunch of bigger the church, basically one pastor for every 200 people is what works statistically. Uh, you have a support staff underneath them, etc. So you have a church like ours that functions with elders and deacons, this whole structure. The early church didn't have it like that. They didn't have buildings, you know, big uh, educational programs and stuff. They had home churches. And so he, he says... Um, Let's understand the, the under, what's going on here with his request he's going to make of the man. Back in the day, uh, they would have lay people running the home churches. So say this was Ephesus. You'd have multiple home churches in the, in the Ephesus area. And those home churches are all Christians who all worship together. They're just at home churches, like small groups. And so the traveling evangelists, uh, pastors, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, missionaries, etc., teachers, and stuff like John, would travel in the area, and they would hit all these churches and, and do the more intense teaching. But they weren't paid by the churches to do that. So the churches had to put these people up because uh, uh, accommodations were not awesome back in the day. I mean, there were no Marriott's. 
You couldn't get points to get, you know, a free hotel room here and there. No, you had to kind of just show up and hope to the Lord himself that somebody in that church put you up in their house. And I'm sure the housing situations were not all optimal either. So what he's telling uh, Gaius is, you are an amazing individual that when uh, prophets, apostles, teachers travel to your area and you don't even know them, you invite them over to your house. How do you feel about people inviting people over to your house that you don't know? Hey, no problem. Come over. Stay as long as you want. I don't care. House is yours. Here's the keys, etc. I was raised in a law enforcement family. I'm very suspicious. <laughs> I mean, I am just by nature. You know, I mean, you just always looking and analyzing and it's just the way it is. It just, you just, you let people into your house. You don't even know them, you know? And it, 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 suppose somebody says they show up at, at, at Gaius's church. Uh, I am here from Jerusalem on assignment from John. How do I know that? There's no internet. I can't contact Interpol. Can't, the FBI can't do a background on this guy. You just take it that he says he, who, he's who he says he is. So what is he doing? Anybody that comes into the area, he says, stay at my house. And that meant not only did he stay there for free, you had to provide meals, you know, etc. And because they didn't receive money from the Gentiles, the community, those churches, you had to financially support them. <laughs> I mean, that's a whole other thing. I don't know where you're at in your lot in life. I have extra bedrooms because my kids are older. They move out, you take over those rooms. You know how this works? And you got these extra rooms, but it's like, you know, suppose a traveling missionary needs a place to stay, you know? You would say, hey, you can stay here. And by the way, I'll help pay your salary. That, that's exactly what he was doing. So he commends him for acting faithfully. He gave him supplies, money, and a place to stay. And he did it on more than one occasion. And he did it with people he didn't even know all the time. That's amazing. Sacrificial giving. Uh, we meet these kinds of people in the New Testament. Uh, one case in point are the Macedonians. Um, Paul is traveling uh, through the area uh, with a request to gain money for the mother church in Jerusalem that's poor. Uh, and so in 2 Corinthians 8, he's now talking to the Corinthian church about the Macedonians, where he just was, who gave him money out of their poverty to support the mother church in Jerusalem. So Paul's using that as a, uh, as a catalyst to talk to the, the wealthy Corinthian believers. Notice what he says. Now, brethren, we wish, wish to make known to you the grace of God, which has been given in the churches in Macedonia, that in great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy, and in their deep poverty, uh, it overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. Even though these churches in the, in the these uh, home churches in the Macedonian area were poor, when they heard that the mother church of all churches in Jerusalem was in financial need, they stepped up in their poverty and said, oh no, we're going to give not just a little bit, we're going to give liberally. And Paul then says to the wealthy Corinthians, let them be your guide on how you give to God. And they gave, they gave spontaneously. See, that, that's, that's a Gaius type. Here's a need. and says, Lord, here I am. You can count on me, and I will give spontaneously to meet the need. I have to ask you a question. Are you Gaius? You're a need, and you give to support that need. Be what that may in our, in our church body. Now, of course, every church at the end of a fiscal year has financial issues. Every church does. But... Gaius types look at what the need is when they read the budget and they're like, oh, my, my church needs more to meet budget? Well, then, well, then here I am, Lord. And, and they give to support that. Because as he tells Gaius, when, when people are giving to you, they are giving to support what you are doing. And when you are giving, you are supporting those missionaries and apolog apologists and prophets, etc. You're getting the chance to work in and through them. Did you, the same thing with you when we give. When we give, whether it's individually or corporately, you are touching the life 
that is impacting other lives. That's Gaius. Gaius had a, had a plan. Now, exactly what was he doing? It says in verse 12, if you skip down there, he says, uh, Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself, and we also bear witness, and you know that our witness is true. Who is Demetrius? Well, Demetrius, um, he is uh, one of those traveling speakers. And it, basically, John says, I put my seal of approval on Demetrius, and not just me, everyone loves Demetrius when he shows up to teach. Uh, and I, I want you to support him. That's what he's telling Gaius. You've done it before. You're the kind of guy we can count on. Will you do it again when Demetrius gets there? All of this tells you when you look at your life as a Christian, and if you are Gaius to a church, what empowers a church are the Gaius types who understand there's a need and you spontaneously give to that need. Now, that doesn't mean that you don't have a normal tithing program. I do. What you determine to give proportionally to God throughout the year on a systematic basis. That's a whole nother thing. I'm talking about spontaneous need. That's what it is. I need to do my part to be Gaius. Are you Gaius? Gaius types empower ministries to do great things for God. We have many of them in our church. And I appreciate your level of commitment to the church because it builds a team. On the other side of the equation is Diotrephes. Diotrephes doesn't empower the team. He enfeebles the team, but he's in a position of power, but he misuses it. Notice what it says in verse 9. He says, I wrote you something to the church, um, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first among them, does not accept what we say. Uh, the plural there, we, is probably the apostolic circle, John and other apostles. For this reason, if I come, I will call attention to his deeds, which he does. And what are his deeds? Well, he's going to identify them. What's he doing? Well, he unjustly accuses us, the apostles, with wicked words, and not satisfied with this, neither does he himself receive the brethren, and he forbids those who desire to do so. He puts them out of the church. This is an evil guy. Where is he in the church? He's in a place of leadership. Have you ever noticed in life that sometimes the wrong people wind up being the leaders? <laughs> How did they make colonel? You're like, I'm, I'm in shock. How did they rise to this level? Are you kidding me? Et cetera. Sometimes you're just wondering, how, how did they? You, you might know a staff sergeant that's, that has greater leadership abilities than a two-star. Have you seen this? Nobody's in the military in the service? Yeah. Um, so Diotrephes is, is an abandoned position, and he's probably an elder in the local church. But there's multiple elders per church back then because they didn't have a pastor per se like we have today. Uh, but in his mind, his problem is he likes to be first. El Jefe. That's how I grew up. Yeah, all my friends always called my dad El Jefe. Do you know what this means? The boss. <laughs> He's the boss. He's the El Jefe. Um, what are names would we give a person like this? The Big Cheese. Any other names? He's a big shot, etc. They love to be first. Let me tell you this. If you... If you come to church and you look at, oh, I want to be an elder, and I want to be it because I want to be the, the one. I want to be the main one. Uh, Christianity is a fight for the bottom, not the top. You follow me? Christianity is for servanthood, not selfhood. I, I didn't take this job. I would assume that no elder takes the job to be an elder over the body so that they can have power and control over people. That's not why I ever did it. In fact, I wasn't planning on being a pastor anyway. This is God's idea. And so what, what are you supposed to do? You're, just, you're supposed to serve other people. It's supposed to be selfless service. What is this guy's problem? He's in a place of church leadership, and he loves to exert his power over the church. 
not how you're supposed to play. Because what does he do? Let's identify what he does. Because remember, we're having a chalk talk, and the coach is saying, Dodge Freeze, you know, helmet number 35. Uh, what's your problem? I need to identify what the problems are. Number one, diatrophies types don't follow the wisdom and counsel of other spiritual leaders. They are a law unto themselves. They could have 10 godly people telling them, uh, hey, brother, hey, sister, it's this, th- this is an issue. You need to say, uh-uh, that's not my problem. That's your problem. That's a diatrophies type. There is a counterprojection where they put onto other people what their issues are, and then they harangue you with them. That's what Diotrephes does. That's what he did in this church. He did not like other spiritual leaders like John. John was a threat to his power. You ever run into Diotrephes? Uh, I have many times over the last 30-something years. Number two, Diotrephes types thrive on bringing unjust, evil accusations against godly leaders. See, when they can't handle you as a godly leader, then they just use ad hominem attacks to attack you. Hard to to deal with when they call you names. Um, the word here for, uh, that he uses here for unjust uh, words uh, means in the Greek text, uh, words that don't match reality. Like they say stuff about leaders that you thinking like, I never thought that about that leader. I never, I've never seen him like that. I've never heard him say things like that. Well, believe me, I have inside information. That's, that's a diatrophies type. Um, if you hear somebody talking down another leader in our church, and it doesn't match the facts. I mean the facts. You're probably talking to diatrophies. And I don't care who diatrophies is. It can be anybody. This guy's an elder in the church. And so diatrophies fights. They can't handle the godly leaders. So what do they do? They manufacture all kinds of things to say about said people to put people off balance, to put that leader off balance so that they can preserve their power position. That is diatrophies. Uh, over the last 32 years of being a pastor, I've spent much time, sadly enough, I, I've been like an, a detective, an investigator with diatrophies types. They can keep you busy and they can wear you out. Number three, diatrophies types are never satisfied with their bullying ways. Just when you thought they had finished bullying you in one way, they will bully you in another way. I've seen it too many times. They're drunk on power. They're paranoid. And they, they're, they're going to preserve their power at all costs. And they're afraid you're going to unmask them for who they really are. So they constantly launch all kinds of attacks in different ways, in different formats, to different people, in different scenarios to keep you constantly looking the other direction so their power is okay. But they bully you. They intimidate you. I told you before about an individual at my last church that was diatrophies. Uh, and he was a key, key person in our church. But um, he believed, because he told me, that he had, you know, like a direct connection with the Holy Spirit. And once he told me that in my office, he laid the groundwork for everything I tell you is from the Holy Spirit. And if you don't do it, you're disobeying the Holy Spirit. I'm like, excuse me? You mean you hear directly from the Holy Spirit and I as a pastor don't? You need to listen to me, brother. Uh, When I did not listen to him for seven years, he was diatrophies to me and bullied me. How did he bully me? Uh, one of the ways that he bullied me is during every sermon, he wrote me about a seven to 10 page document. <laughs> I still have all of them. Handwritten on yellow paper from a pad. <sighs> He's all during the sermon. I can see him writing. He's not taking notes. <laughs> when the sermon's over, he'd get up, he'd walk, he'd slide it under my office door. Hallelujah. <laughs> Hopefully he'll read this and he'll come to the light. 
I would open my door after the sermon to put my Bible away. There's the customary letter for seven years. I would pick it up, read it. You have got to be kidding me. See, he thought his way was the way, and he bullied me with letters. It was a great day when he moved on. I'm not kidding. Because he, he was destroying the church unity. Because remember, diatrophies types, they enfeebled the team. As a kind of as a side note, I went out to lunch about a year later with a friend of mine uh, who's pastoring another local church, a guy I went to seminary with. And I said, hey, how's your ministry going? Uh, it's, I'm having a hard time. I said, what's going on? He goes, well, we had a guy show up at a... <laughs> he said, he, the first Sunday he came, it was our annual business meeting, and he, and he showed up. And he came to the meeting. He said, new people don't come up to usually. And then he talked during the meeting. And of what did he say? And the things that he told me that he said were everything that he had told me when he was at my church, bothering me. And so I said, is this guy about 5'7"? Yeah. Does he have brown hairy parts on his side? Hmm? He's about 145 pounds? Yeah. I'll pray for you. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> anyway, moving on. I've seen him. Uh, number four, diatrophies types, they reject those who don't kiss the ring of their power. If you do not kowtow to what they want, well, then they really don't like you because you want, they want you to do what they say. Um, he put people out of the church. That's what it says in the text. He put people out of the church means he excommunicated them, kicked them out of the church. Why? They just desired to be hospitable. Huh? They, it wasn't that they invited these traveling teachers into their houses and paid etc. for them, which probably suggests that Gaius wasn't at Diotrephes' church. Um, he's probably at another one of the local churches. But he, if you just said, hey, I'd really like to have that missionary stay with me for the next two weeks, Diotrephes is like, that's grounds for kicking you out of the church. You know, it probably only took a few excommunications and no one's going to want to have anybody over. Wow, did you hear what happened to Steve and Darla? Wow, they were nuked. By who? Diotrephes. See, they, it's, it's their way or it's no way. Which kind of person are you? You Gaius? You give to empower the church? Or you use your position to undermine the church and you enfeeble the church. And those types usually think they're doing God a favor. I close with one story about diatrophies. Um, when I was growing my church uh, in California and we got to the point where we needed an organizational chart, because if you don't have an organizational chart, no one knows who reports to who, power lines of authority, it's total mayhem. The devil can exploit that and create great disunity. So we sat down as an elder board to create an organizational chart. How hard can this be? It was hard because Diotrephes was an elder, I found out. And here's how he operated. Each elder got up, went to the whiteboard, wrote what they thought should be the organizational structure of the church. He got his turn. I'm sitting there watching. He gets up there and he draws a big box in the middle of the chalkboard, Jesus Christ. I'm like, amen, yes. Draws a pyre line down to the next box, the elder council, hallelujah, yes. And then he draws other lines down to the staff and the other areas of the church, etc. But I don't see pastor up there. And then he draws a box way over here in the corner by itself. No power lines of authority to anything. And then he sits down. And I'm like, uh, what's that box? That's you. What do you mean that's me? Marty, you're a gifted Bible teacher, preacher. We just want you to just do your thing over there. Don't worry about the church. We'll run everything. We'll make the decisions. You just crank out the sermons and the preaching and just let us do what we do. Uh, no, <laughs> that is not going to happen. Uh, I became John to that guy at that point. When I saw him face to face, we had a conversation that that's not how the Lord structured the church for 
you to control the church and to control me behind the scenes. Not happening. He eventually left the church. Uh, sadly, I wish he would have uh, come clean and become a team player, but he was Diotrephes. Which kind of person are you? Final command is, beloved, do not imitate what is evil. An evil leadership design is what he's talking about. But do what is good. The one who does good is of God. The one who does evil has not seen God. Now, I'll tell you this again, and it's a present tense command with a negative kind of, uh, uh, particle before it. it. means it stops an action in progress. It means people in the churches were following Diotrephes' leadership style. John says, don't become a bully. See, bullies create other bullies. His, his leadership style is highly sinful. Don't, don't follow him. No, follow a good leadership style. You have one in this passage. Shall I show you two helmets as we close? Two helmets. Which helmet are you? <laughs> one on the left. You see the helmet? B for Burke. This is Gaius. D? Oh, I need to see the helmet again. It just went away. The, the, the D was who? Diotrephes. That was his helmet. Which helmet do you have on? Well, hopefully you got the helmet on. That's the one Gaius is wearing, and you're empowering the team. Because if you're Diotrephes, the, today's the day to come clean and say, Lord, forgive me for not being a servant to the body. Uh, and I'm going to put on the other helmet. John was a great guy. Uh, shepherd his churches. And we thank you for being a church that wants to be one that does great things for God. And it starts with applying principles like these. Let's pray. God, anoint us with the Spirit uh, to follow what we need to do, uh, to be the kind of leaders that we need to be, uh, to mature as people to greater levels as we love each other. Uh, and we, we pray that we might do amazing things for you because we are bound together by the love of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.